So, a couple things. Um, if you missed Wednesday, we had first Wednesday here. It was a night of worship. If you missed that, like, I'm sorry that you did, because it was so fun and so good, and so it was just good, man. Our band, and I just want to say thank you to the band, to, to Pastor Jamie, his team. They did fantastic. So let's give it up for them one time, would you? Give it up. They always do good, but it was really, really good. And then in your seats, you have this little card that says, The Best Sunday Ever. And as much as we love you, this card isn't for you. This is for you to take with you. And hopefully pass to somebody this uh, week or the next week. We'll have these again for you next week as well. Um, this is the Sunday where we just kind of pull out all the stops, have some fun, give away a lot of fun stuff, have a lot of fun food. Um, and, and, and then, of course, we'll continue this series. And uh, what we're going to give you this time, everybody gets something, including the kids. What we're going to give you this time is uh, we've never given you before, and it's really, really cool, and I like it a lot. So you want to come out and check that out. Come get free stuff. If no other reason, come get free stuff, and we'll be happy to see you two weeks from today. So the series is called Rumble Strip. Um, just by show of hands, until you saw that video there explaining what it was, how many of you did not know that that's what those little bumps were called? Raise your hand if you didn't know Rumble Strip. Okay, a lot of you did. Um, like it's not the turtles, like the little yellow turtle things or whatever, or the the white bumpy things. It's the little ridges along the road, and sometimes in the median. Sometimes they put them in the road to help you to, to realize you got to slow down. And 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 it's one of those things which. Uh, if you didn't know that they were there and you ran into them, it'll scare the life out of you as you look up from the text that you shouldn't have been sending that you were. Come on, somebody. <laughs> or if you're dozing off a little bit. Like, I hate sleeping in the car. I can't sleep in the car. I don't care who's driving. But my wife will tell you that when she's driving, and I rarely let her drive on long road trips, not because I don't let her drive, because I just want to, I feel like I want to just treat it as a gift to her. She works hard. I want to just drive. But sometimes I get tired. And so I'll be like, hey, can you take a little bit? And then I'll doze off for just a second. And she'll just be changing lanes. And I'll just be like thinking that we're drifting off into the oblivion. I'll be like, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, and I'll scream it out or whatever. And she'll be like, I'm fine. Just chill out, dude. You know, settle down. I got, I've been driving for a long time without you in the car. But, you know, my mother would always yell, Jesus. Every time we, if I, when I was driving when I was 16, she would always be like, Jesus. And then she'd throw her arm across me as though that was going to stop me from flying out the window. <laughs> Moms, anybody do this? Is that a mom thing? I think it's a mom thing. Um, yeah, so it's those bumps on the road, those little ridges, the slits, whatever you want to call them, that alert drivers that, hey, there's some danger coming up if you keep going the way you're going right now. It's, it's an early warning system. It's, it's kind of cool because it's both audible and that you can hear the sound that it makes, and it's a bad sound, but it's also sort of tactile, tactile, tactile. I can't remember how you say that word. I don't say it very often, so I don't remember. Um, but you can feel it. Like, you can feel it. Like, you can just kind of lean back in and get a quick massage if you want to. It's great. Uh, but but it's, 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 it's sort of the, roads, the road designer's way of sending you kind of a text message um, that's, that's saying one of two things. Number one, you're, you're, you're drifting. You're going the wrong direction. Or... We have some at the entrance to our neighborhood up Bandera Road, which is just to say, slow down. There's a light coming around this curve. Slow down. And, 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 and so it's audible, and you can hear it, and it's tactile. You can, you can feel it. Um, and it's just, again, you're moving in the wrong direction. And it's kind of an early warning system. And, and what I love about early warning systems, we have them in our houses, smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors. And, and of course, those only know how to go off their batteries and only know how to go out in the middle of the night. Has anybody ever noticed this? I have never had one go off during the day for the first time. Like I've let it go until nighttime, but it like, like it's always in the middle of the night. But the, the, the idea is that the best kind of protection is early detection. Right. 
right? Isn't that just true? That the best kind of protection is, it's not, it's not well, if I ignore the, 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 the rumble strip along the side of the road and I crash off into a cliff, I'll get hurt, but, you know, they'll take me to the hospital and, and they'll fix me. That's not the best kind of, of protection, right? There, there's a reason why there's a saying, and apparently it's old because nobody in both services, the first two services, said they knew, had ever heard of it, that, that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of, what is it? Of cure. An ounce of protect, prevention is worth a pound of cure. Some of you have heard this before. And there's a reason why that's a saying. So that's what a rumble strip does. It just, it alerts you. It says, wake up, you know, watch out, pay attention. And, and so they put them, brilliantly, they put them not at the edge of the road, like the, the far edge of the road. They put them at the edge of your lane, like in a safe zone where when you hear it, when you feel it, you still have time to react. There's margin where you can get over and you can, you can make a small adjustment, a tweak, and get right back in the, the right lane. And, and although it's irritating and sometimes scary when you hit them or when you're looking down at your phone and the driver hits them and you're like, ah, oh, we're dying. Um, it, nobody, ignore, nobody would deny the logic of them that it's an early warning system and that it, it, sell, it saves a lot of lives. I did a lot of research on them because I, I hadn't really thought about them other than that they're there. Um, and you know, a lot of people die in one-car accidents um, and the real reason that they put these are for people to do that, because most of the time that people who crash be, uh, it, after having ignored a rumble strip, it's, it's a one-car deal. They go off the edge. They crash into the barriers. Um, so I, I, I just know that it helps people when they have a warning. You're going off direction. Now, here's the truth, because you're like, well, that was a nice driver's ed uh, um, lesson. What's the point for me? Um, well, I, the point is that I think we need them in more places than the roads and the highways, the byways, the bridges, the medians, the curves of our roadways, I think we need something like this in our lives as well. Something that is audible and, and, and we feel and we know that can tell us, hey, Danny, you're, you're drifting in your life. You're not on the path. You're not on the course. You're drifting. You're headed for some trouble, some pain, some, some devastation if you're not careful. And, and, and so we can think of rumble, rumble strips um, in our lives as, as a, a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Now listen to that. A personal standard, like a barrier of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience, meaning when I ignore it, my conscience starts firing, going, ah, oh, I don't know about that. Right? It, it, it's a personal boundary that we simply do not cross. No matter what, no matter how society changes, no matter what culture says, no matter what popular opinion is, there are some things that have to be sort of bedrock for us. Now, my personal boundary may be different than yours for different reasons. But for me, these are things that I'm not going to do. No matter what happens, no matter who says it, no matter whether Oprah likes it, I'm not going to do it for me, right? Nothing wrong with Oprah. I like Oprah, right? And so... We, we, we hear these, this, this, this rumbling going off, this personal awakening going off because we're drifting. Because the truth is, is in life, we drift. The human default mode of human beings is to drift southward when it comes to standards of excellence and morality and good and right. Our default mode is to drift from that. It is. It's just a fact of life. And we need somebody or we need something to warn us when that's happening. Now, if we were perfectly honest 
And if we had time to go around the room and during that first service when it was raining so hard, we literally could have gone around the room and said, what do you think? It was like a small group and we were all doing kumbaya and having marshmallows together, right? Roasted marshmallows. Marshmallows are just throwing marshmallows out. Um, but, but we had, like if we could go around the room, maybe most of us, maybe all of us, but certainly most of us would say that our greatest regrets, our biggest mistakes, our greatest failures in life could have been and really should have been avoided if we had had some rumble strips in life. If we had had some personal standards of behavior that became a matter of conscience, if we had had those in our lives, they could have been and should have been avoided. If we had had financial rumble strips, if we had had some moral rumble strips, if we'd had some relational moral, moral you know, rumble strips where we'd be like, shouldn't have gone out with that person, should not have dated her, should not have taken that agreement, right? Like if we had had some, even some professional career rumble strips where we'd say, now, man, I, I shouldn't have chosen this career. I shouldn't have gone to school for that. I don't know why I just spent eight years and that much money or six years or four, whatever it is. I wish I had, I wish somebody would have told me, you're not wired up for this. If I had just had something, so much pain and so much trauma in our lives and so much heartache could have been avoided. But, but here's the truth that I need you to download because this is the sort of sticky statement today. You cannot correct what you do not first detect. You won't correct. You won't know to correct what you don't first detect. If you don't have something or someone in your life, and this is why we were selling small groups a couple of weeks ago, why it's so important to be in a group. Circles are better than rows because circles, there are people in there who will go, dude, alarm bell in your life right now. You're headed in the wrong direction. And if you don't have somebody like that in your life or something in your life that sends off alarm bells when you're headed in the wrong direction, you will most likely be kind of, become the kind of person for whom you have to learn the hard way. That, that's, you know these people, right? It's like, could you not learn from somebody else who could have told you that's a bad way to go, right? But some people got to learn the hard way, right? And you don't have to be that kind of person. You can, you can learn from other people. Now, now, here's the thing, though, about these personal, these personal boundaries, these personal standards, convictions, if you want to call them that. That's a good biblical word. Um, our culture uh, really doesn't appreciate them, really doesn't encourage them um, or celebrate people who have these sort of boundaries in their own personal lives, right? Our culture is just fine with the sort of yellow painted lines along the edge, the outer edge of the roadways. Matter of fact, some of them in the culture will be like, yeah, yellow's a little bit offensive. Couldn't we just make those gray, like a nice neutral color? Where, like, like m m gray meaning um, that, that they're kind of squishy advice, like we're, it's good for you, but not necessarily for me. But, but hard and fast barriers aren't appreciated much in our society, right or wrong. They're just not, right? right. They're seen oftentimes by other people as silly or narrow-minded or old-fashioned. And so when you begin to establish personal boundaries in your life for your family, for yourself, whatever, whoever it is, don't be surprised when people, even people that are your friends, people that you're related to, people that you love, kind of like, dude, that's... That's so prudish. That's so old-fashioned. Like, seriously, they, they might make fun of you. Don't be surprised at that. But you know what's funny about that, though? Is that 
those same people who will make fun of you for setting up a boundary in your life, when you choose not to set up boundaries in your life, and when you, as a result, fall into trouble by, because you drank too much or because you, you lost your job because your character wasn't very good or, or you failed financially, those same people will shame you and mock you for doing those things. Right. Think about that. It's true. You've been on Facebook before. You see the shaming that goes on in there. You see how our culture will shame people who make bad decisions, right? They'll do this to you, but they'll also shame you and embarrass you because you tried not to do that in your life because you set up personal boundaries. So in culture, our cultural advice looks like this, very squishy. We'll say things like drink responsibly, right? Which is really good news and good, good, good ideas that that what does that mean? Because everybody's tolerance level is different, right? So everybody, you know, you, you don't even, like some of you would say, I have not drank responsibly before, but at the time I really didn't even know I was irresponsible. I thought I could handle it. I thought I was good. I thought, because let's face it, alcohol blurs the lines. And some of you go, yeah, that's true. I mean, I remember that from when I was back in the Navy. And some of you would be like, I remember that from yesterday. It blurs the lines. It kind of dumbs me down a little bit. And so you don't even know when you cross the line for some folks. Some of you are very responsible, but some of you thought you were responsible, but you made some bad decisions and you hurt somebody or you hurt yourself or you got into some trouble because drink responsibly wasn't a good enough barrier for you. Might've been good for somebody else, but for you it wasn't. So we'll say things like this to teenagers and, and college students, but particularly teenagers. When it comes to sexual activity, wait until you're ready, Right? which I would say probably that was invented by women, right? Not a knock on women because for them, it's probably a good thing. But ask any teenage boy that. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Fellas, don't leave me hanging up here because they will tell you I was born ready. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's a good painted, gray painted stripe, but that's not a personal boundary or a rumble strip for a teenage boy or a 20-something-year-old boy. I'm talking from the boy's perspective right now. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying it's not a boundary. It's a gray painted stripe. Now, here's another one, right? Consolidate your debt, right? Well, that, that may seem like good advice, but it's not necessarily a great financial standard. A rumble strip would have said, hey, don't get into debt in the first place. Like a rumble strip would have said, you need to put that card up because you're burning that sucker at both ends and you're going to get in trouble. And, and the rumble strip was going off. You shouldn't buy stuff you can't pay cash for in, in the general areas of life. Because most of that stuff that you're buying right now, a year from now, is going to be 20,000 times cheaper in your garage sale. Because folk are cheap at garage sales. Can I get a good witness on that? Right? Here, here, here's, here's the last one just for fun. Just a good bit of a cultural wisdom. Right? Listen to your heart. Like, as a parent, I'm like, what? Worst advice ever. Like, I know it sounds good. They make songs about it. There's Disney movies that trump that. But listen, the prophet Jeremiah said, I think it's, it's chapter 17, that our hearts are deceitful above all other things. And he says, who can cure them? Right? We lie to ourselves. Like most of the stuff that you've done wrong in your life that you're embarrassed of, you actually worked hard to talk yourself into that. 
Yes or no? You justified why you should have that 14th donut, right? You, like, like, God wants to give me the desires of my heart. It's bad for your heart is what he's trying to tell you. Come on, right? But you will not be celebrated. You will not be encouraged if you say you shouldn't follow your heart. You should get some smart people, some wise people around you and listen to what they say. They might know more than you do because they're older. They've been down. They've fallen in that same trap of following their heart. And they would tell you, no, no, listen for wisdom, right? So I want to tell you something. Culture does not celebrate, does not encourage those personal boundaries. And I will tell you this. You may not be celebrated for them, but I promise you in life you will have fewer regrets if you have some of them in your life. I guarantee it. Now, this isn't a new idea. I didn't come up with this, right? Um, the, 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 this, this, stuff is, this idea has been all around as long as there's been an Old Testament. And particularly in the New Testament where God would say, words to the wise, follow wisdom, listen to wise people, don't go down this trap. You read the, the writings of Solomon. They're filled with this kind of stuff. Have boundaries, have rumble strips in your life. They don't use that word because they didn't, frankly, have rumble strips. Those came around in the 40s, so Solomon didn't know rumble strip, or he would have said it because it's fun to say, rumble strip, right? So Paul, the apostle, if you don't know him, he, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing these letters to all of these churches that he has um, planted all around his, the whole region, Turkey and Asia Minor, all around that uh, Greece, all around that rim there. He, he, he created all these churches. And so he would write letters to these, and he writes a letter to the, the, the folks who live in Ephesus, in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles there, I want you to turn there. And these people were, as hard as it is to believe, they were facing um, a culture which was even more um, lacking in morality and, and sort of black and white issues than ours. And, and throughout his writings, he would list some personal boundaries, some, some rumble strips to help direct and protect, because that's what these do, by the way. They help us, they protect us, and they direct us. Get back over, you know? And, and so... Um, in Ephesians 5, by the way, which is this where we're going to be hanging out over the next four weeks in these, in these same few verses, he's writing, trying to give handles to these people, like something to carry, something to pick up and walk with to, to guide them. And, and so Ephesians um, is, is one of my most favorite books of the Bible, probably my most favorite. Um, matter of fact, when I was a student pastor, I wrote a commentary for students so that they could learn Ephesians the way I was learning Ephesians. And I spent a long time writing Ephesians and, and Philippians uh, uh, for students. And those poor kids, man, they had to hear me teach out of Ephesians over and over and over again, but I love it so much. And, and it's divided into two, and some would say three, uh, but for sure two sections. There, there is what is first of all called the, the blessing section, the, the sort of first part of Ephesians. And by the way, I'm going to challenge you over the next four weeks to read the book of Ephesians through. And, and some of you, I wish you would read it over and over again and sort of download that and uh, let it marinate inside of you and, and, and meditate on the teachings. But that first half, and you'll know when you read it, is all about the blessings that come from being a follower of Jesus. It's just loaded with be, that, that God loves you and that God protects you and that God cares for you and, and that the blessings of God are incredible and however, however, however big you think they are, they're better than that. And however big you think God is, he's bigger than that. And, 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 and however much you think he's done for you, he's done more for you than that. 
And, and then he starts talking about that we are in Christ. And that's a phrase he uses, I think it's 23 times, in, if my memory serves, in, in the book of Ephesians alone. And that what that means is that I'm in his hands and, and I'm in his protection and I'm in his care and I have his love and I have his grace and, and he's trusted me with his spirit and he's a, a blessing kind of God over and over again. And then I'm seated in heavenly places. Uh, I'm not only in Christ, but I'm in Christ in heavenly places. And he's doing this over and over again. Now, why does he do this? Why, why does he lead in the book of Ephesians with that blessing? Because he wants you to know that those blessings and that, that grace comes to you before the behaviors. Like, like, like in religion, we say, you gotta get cleaned up, you gotta get right to get to God. But, but the reality is, is the exact opposite, that I come to God just as I am, messed up, broken, hurting, down, whatever it is, empty-handed, and he says, let me bless you. Let me, let me dump a bucket of grace on you. Let, 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 me, let me, God so loved the world that he sent his only son who came to die for my sins, who came in spite of my sin. While I was still a sinner, he came to die for me and to pay the price and to bridge the gap between me and God, that I was the object of God's wrath, the Bible says, that I was headed for a Christless eternity, that I had no way to pay for my own sins. But God came and blessed me in Christ. I'm now in Christ. I'm seated in heavenly places. And so the behavior comes in as a response to the blessing. Not, and so in other words, God's grace and God's blessing and God's goodness don't come in response to me changing my behavior. They came before that. And now when I realize the blessings of God, that I'm in Christ, that I'm, that I'm protected, that I'm cared for, my response then is, how do I live my best life, God? Where, where do I need some rumble strips in my life, God? And that's what's happening. And so we're going to read here, th th this text is happening in that second kind of, that sort of behavior language. But please don't forget that the behavior language comes after the blessing language. Because if you live in, 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 with it in reverse, you'll live in religion and not relationship with Jesus. You'll, that's how you'll live your life. So where do I need some rumble strips in my life? So Paul knows who he's writing to, says, I got to give him handles. So here's what he says, verse, verse 14 of chapter five. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, which is what a rumble strip does. Can I, can I get a good amen? amen? Wake up, texter. You're going to kill somebody, right? Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then this transition, be very careful then. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, in light of what I've just said, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with a spirit. Be filled with the spirit. I'm going to break each of these verses down here for, in just a moment. Paul is saying, guys, I need to give you something that will protect you, and I need to give you something that will direct you. So he starts off verse five or 15. Be very careful then how you live. So the standard for every person who follows Jesus, and really even if you're not a Jesus person, even if you don't know anything about the Bible, this is just good advice. Be very careful then how you live. When it comes to your relationships, when it comes to how you handle your morality, when it comes to how you handle your finances, when it comes to your, your friendships, 
in any area of their life. I don't want you, Paul said, I don't want you to fall off into a ditch on the right or the left in any of these areas of life. So I want to say, be careful how you live. And that last word live is sometimes translated, be very careful how, as how you walk, right? If you have a large dog and you have a small backyard, then you know this is good wisdom, right? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Particularly at night, early in the morning before it's daylight, you got to be very careful where you step. Can I get a witness? Right. I'm going to leave it there. I want to go more. The junior youth pastor in me wants to go more there. I'm going to leave it there. Right? This is what Paul's trying to get at. you got to be careful where you step. Look around. And then he says, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, here's what I want to give you today. Here's what Paul is giving us, me, all of us. He's saying that wisdom has to serve as the filter through which you sift all of life's decisions. And the way that you do this is by asking yourself this question. Is this the wise thing to do? Not, not, you, know, you know why this is a great question? Because our propensity, your propensity, is to say, well, is it illegal? Yes. Right? Is it immoral? Uh, is it a sin? Like, Danny, tell us what's sin and what's not, uh, and then we'll figure out what, what I would do when I was a student pastor. I, I, for 14 years, I was a student pastor, and because I knew the pressure of culture, I would teach my students every year a series on sex, love, and dating, every single year. And then we'd have small groups where we could talk about it afterwards, and sometimes the parents would be like, I want to come in on that, and they'd be like, oh, that's a good word, but I'm kind of a, I don't want to be in the same room with my kid while you're talking about this. And they would just say, yeah, I'm going to leave, you know, out, out of the room, you know. I kind of hurt my knees a little bit. I'm getting old. <laughs> Heard a lot, actually. Somebody get, call a doctor. <laughs> wow. I got to do something about that. Um, so the, the, the discussion would go like this. In our huddles afterwards, they'd be like, so uh, Pastor Danny, well, like, what is the line? Like, how, what can we do where God's not going to like lightning bolt us? They didn't really understand grace back in those days. They'd be like, God's going to lightning bolt us if we, you know, do, can we hold hands or can we like go to first base or second base? You know what I'm saying? I'd be like, nah, bad question, guys, bad question. Here's, here's what you need to ask yourself, guys. Where's the line? And then how, not how close can I get to it? How far away from the line can I get to it? Because yours and my proclivity is to say, I like danger. I like to go to the edge. I like to live on the edge and see how close I can come to falling off. But people fall off, man. People fall off the cliff all the time. My better wisdom would say, in the areas of my finances, in the areas of my morality, in the areas of my marriages, how far away from disaster can I stay? That's the wise thing. And then, and then, this is brilliant, and it's brilliant not because I created it, because I didn't make this up. It's just brilliant. You, you, you ask this question in, in sort of three categories. Number one, is this the wise thing to do in light of my past? In light of the last time I did that, what happened? In, in light of the last time I went out with her, what happened? Or her type, or his type. In light of the last time I clicked on a link like that, what happened? In light of the last time I got a credit card with that kind of limit, what happened? And the chances are, if you would say it wasn't good, smart money would say, you need to turn around and walk the other direction in light of your past. Like this other guy has a different past than you, but in light of your past, you need to turn around and walk away because your spidey senses should be going off right now and going, whoa, 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 turn around, don't drown right now. 
Right? And some of that's a good word today, actually, because the 1560s closed. Don't turn around, don't drown. Right? That's what should be happening. And then, and then second step is in light of my present reality, my current reality. Not, not in light of the person that you hope to be someday. Not in, light, not, not in light of the ideal you out there someday, but in light of who you are right now with your current vulnerabilities right now, your current, your, your current reality as it relates to how you used to handle that very same thing. In light of the fact that right now, is it the wise thing to make this decision in light of how happy I am, how sad I am, how mad I am, how emotionally volatile I am? And the answer to that question is never. It's never the wise time. What, what, what's wrong with happy? Nothing's wrong with happy. You just don't make good decisions when you're super happy, when you're super mad, when you're super sad. You don't make good decisions. Come back down to level. Then make the... So, so in light of my past, in light of my present, current realities, and then in light of... This is so good. In light of my future hopes and dreams. In light of the vision that I have for my life in light of the kind of dad I want to be someday, it's just the wise thing to do. In light of the kind of wife I want to be someday, it's just the wise thing to do. In light of the kind of dad I am and I want to be for the kids I have right now as they grow up, in light of the, in the, in the kind of dad I want to be, it's just wise for me to do right now. And this is why having a vision for your life, understanding what God's will for your life is so imperative. Because I get that as a picture and I can say no to so many temptations in life if I have a clear picture of who I want to be and I know that's not going to get me there. Not just as culture dictates. He says, not, not, as, not, as, not as unwise. Culture will say, say yes to whatever feels good to you. No, no, no. In light of who you are, in light of where you're going, in light of where you've been, in light of where you are right now, is this the wise thing to do. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This literally means making the most of your time because your time is limited. It is your most valuable resource, but it is an asset that is limiting, is limited and expiring. And here's the truth. You don't know how much time you get. I don't care if you say I'm 20, I'm 15. I got all the time in the world. No, you don't know. Go visit any hospital you don't know how much time you have. And Paul says, listen, in light of the fact that the your time is limited and expiring, you got to pay attention. Every one of us in this room has seasons and days and moments of our days of our lives. And these are the days of our lives that we wish we could get back. We wish that we would give anything to have freshman year of college back where we should have done things differently. Where we wish we could have the summer of 89 back again or spring break 94. Dear God, could I get that one back again? Some of you, you'd say, I wish I could have that first year of my marriage back again. I would never have done things that way. Gosh, I'd give anything to have those first seven years of my kid's life back again. It went by in a blur and I didn't handle my business right. And you can't go back. And Paul would say, you already know what happens when, you don't, when you're not careful with your time. So you have to live not as unwise. You got to live and pay attention to how fast time flies by. And don't continue to make mistakes that you regret in your past, but that you're going to regret in the future again. Because you didn't pay attention to what was around you. 
You cannot, you cannot correct what you do not protect. You cannot correct what you do not first detect. A rumble strip won't stop you from crashing. It'll only warn you that you're about to. You have to listen. You have to pay attention because the drift, the drift on the road and the drift in life is always subtle. One degree here, two degrees there. Doesn't seem like a big deal. Five years from now, 10 years from now, your life is devastated. You're doing things you never dreamed you would do. You're having to experience and go through the trauma and the pain of stuff that you never dreamed you thought you would do because it's a subtle drift and you gotta have something going off. Hey, turn, turn, slow down. You're drifting, get back online. Why is this important? Paul says in response, because the days are evil. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay attention because the days are evil. You, you can't just walk around in dangerous times with blinders on and, and, and even just pay attention to your own lane. He's saying, you got to pay attention to other people around you. Do, you. do you remember when you first learned to drive? At least I remember this from my mother was my primary teacher, thank God, because my dad had zero patience, just like I have none either, right? And my mother would say, Daniel, it's not enough to just stay in your lane, son. You got to pay attention to everybody around you. You got to know that just because you're doing the right things, not everybody else is going to do the right things, Daniel. You got to pay attention to your, it's called defensive driving. Some of y'all just took that class here recently. Can I get a get amen? Right? Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Because the days are evil. And this is Paul's point that you live in an environment, you live in a culture, you and I do, where it's not enough to simply pay attention to what you're doing. You live in a culture where you have to pay attention to what other people are doing all around you. What other people are asking you to do, what other people are encouraging you to do, what other people are inviting you into, what other people are, are offering to you, because the days are evil. And so he says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. In other words, you cannot afford to approach your life as though everything is disconnected. Don't approach your life as if your past is going to have no impact on your present or your future, right? Don't approach life as if what happens today doesn't bear any weight with what happens to you tomorrow. That, that's foolishness is what he's saying. And then he says something that seems strange. He says, but understand what the Lord's will is. And in the Greek, the word is an imperative. It means it's a command, like understand what the Lord's will is. Like when I was in high school, I had one teacher throughout high school. I went to a small Christian school and she loves me and I love her to this day. I talked to her just the other day, but she was very good at math. And my brother was, my brothers were both nuclear guys in the Navy. They were the smartest of the smart. Um, they were scientists kind of guys. They had these incredible minds. My sister was brilliant at scientific math. My dad was a mechanical engineer, brilliant at math. My mother was a registered nurse, brilliant at math, good at scientific things. Not Danny it just went away. Like they're like, that's all we got. And then it drained off into the, you know, into them. And then there was none left for me. And so she would get so frustrated with me when it would come to algebra. And, and I could just feel her saying, Daniel, I command you to understand this. It's not helping. Like, like, like you can yell over my shoulder at me. It's not, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. 
And that seems like what he's saying here on the surface, but what he's actually saying is you have to face up to, you have to acknowledge, to embrace, to be honest with yourself that you are capable of lying to yourself. Stop deceiving yourself is what he's saying. You, you got to know what's going on. You got to be aware of your past and your current reality and your propensity and proclivity to do the wrong things. You got to pay attention to that. And then if you're a Christian, you got to face up to what God's will is for your life. And by the way, the Bible says that God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. Come on, aren't you glad that, that some of us are like, I don't know if I want God's will for my life. What if he wants to send me to Africa? He wouldn't do that to Africa. Come on, somebody. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm kidding. It's good. It's It's pleasing. It's perfect. And he says, you, you got a face of it. Because some of us, what, he, what Paul's saying is, some of you are dancing on the line. You're flirting on the edge. You think you can get away with it, but you can't. Eventually, it's going to bite you. Eventually, you're going to crash. Eventually, you're going to pay the price and experience the trauma that comes with dancing on the edge. Face up to. Get honest about who you are. The man in the mirror can't handle everything the man thinks he can. So then, the idea of, of these rumble strips, these guardrails, the way that Andy Stanley describes it, uh, which is where we borrowed some of this idea. Um, the way he describes it, uh, that Paul is describing is that, that guardrails or barriers, these personal barriers, they keep you from a worse thing. So, so I'm going to explain it like this. When you're driving down the road and you bump into those, those, those divots those, and they bump you and scare you, or, 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 or worse, if you crash into a guardrail or, or a concrete barrier, now, it'll tear your car up, that will, right? But what it's doing is it's keeping you from a worse thing. Now, you got to catch this with me. Like, it's keeping you from, yes, it messed up your car, but it kept you, kept you from falling in a river, from falling off a cliff, from going into oncoming traffic and creating a much, much worse situation. So one thing keeps you from another thing. A rumble strip keeps you from a worse thing. So you got that with me now. So he goes on and says, I want to give you an illustration of what he means. This is what he's saying. I want to give you an illustration. Verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Now, I want you to think about this with me and, and, and fill in the blank. He fills in the blank, and we'll get to that in a second in the next verse, I mean the next part of this verse. But I want you to think with Paul's illustration What's the worst thing? Don't get drunk because if you do, it leads to a worse thing. I think all of us could have seen the effects of what the worst things can be from violence to assaults to terrible accidents. When I was 14 years old, my parents got a call in the middle of the night. My sister and her best friend were hit head on by a drunk driver. My sister made it out with some really tough facial injuries that required some plastic surgeries, but her friend never recovered from the brain injury she sustained and was never able to walk or talk again. And as far as I know, to this day, she's completely dependent on others to do everything for her. 17 years old, bright future, beautiful girl, fantastic, talented person, but a man got drunk and it led to a worse thing. See what I'm saying? Do, do, do you know anybody who wishes that they had a rumble strip, a personal barrier as it relates to alcohol? How might your own life have been different if your mother or your dad 
had had a standard as it relates to this one illustration. He could have given any, but he chose alcohol for whatever reason. The message isn't about alcohol, but let me just say this and I'll move on. If more than one person says you drink too much, you do. And you need to get some help. Because if you ignore this, and if you ignore them, there's bad days ahead for you. And maybe for somebody else who you hurt. I just, that's a word for somebody. I'm going to leave it and move on. So, but here's how the Apostle Paul fills in the blank. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to a word we don't use anymore, debauchery. And this means primarily in Paul's context, sexual indulgences as a result of a loss of self-control, where some people just do dumb, dumb things, wreck marriages, wreck homes, wreck relationships because they don't have self-control. It's any kind of indulgence, though. We'll take it broader than that. Any kind of indulgence that results from a lack of self-control. And so rumble strips, personal barriers, personal boundaries safeguard us from handing over because we lack self-control, from handing over to someone or something the best parts of ourselves, the best parts of our lives. And so he says, this will safeguard you from handing over the best parts of yourself to somebody else so that you're not mastered by anything. That's what he uses in other places. And then look at the last part of the verse again. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, here's the better alternative. Basically, one thing leads to a worse thing, but let's forget the one thing. Let's not even do the one thing. Let's do something else instead. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The New Testament would teach us that when a person puts their real trust, their ultimate faith and trust in Jesus Christ to, to be the forgiver of their sins, to be the Lord of their lives, to, to, to be the, the guide who guides and protects their lives, that when that happens, that the Holy Spirit regenerates us, redeems us, makes us new, resides in us in some mysterious ways. And, and it affects our lives in all sorts of ways. We, we get the fruit of the Spirit and all of a sudden our actions start to change and we, we become kinder and, and gentler. and not, not always, clearly, but as a, as a rule of thumb, we're, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. But, but, but one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit affects us is in our conscience. Right? Paul, so what Paul is saying is instead of giving control over your life to something or, or, or someone, whether it's alcohol, whether it's being a workaholic or, or greedy or some hobby or a person or having an affair, whatever it is, instead of giving over your a control over your life, I want you instead to submit your life to the nudgings, to the promptings, to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit who is, by the way, the ultimate rumble strip. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we all have a conscience. Unless you're a sociopath, you have a conscience. But here's what happens with yours and my conscience over time. The culture and the stuff that we watch and the stuff that we listen to and the stuff that we put in our lives over time dulls our conscience so much that if it were not for the Holy Spirit coming along and saying, Danny, you don't want to go down that road, Danny. You don't want to 
You don't want to click on that link, Danny. You don't want to respond in that way to that email or that call. Danny, you don't want to go to that place. Danny, you don't want to, res- you don't want to say yes to that invitation. Without, without him at work in my life, I would be subject to so much pain and trauma and turmoil if it were not for the gentle nudge. Danny, Danny. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. And it's not spooky. And he's not weird. Some of you have a car right now that's new and better than mine, apparently, because mine doesn't do this. But some of you have a car that when you drift out of your lane, your seat vibrates. Or you, like some of them have, they'll make that, that, that audible sound that, that a rumble strip makes, that they'll make that come out of your speakers. Or you'll have your, your lights start flashing on your, your, your mirrors. And it's just a warning, you're, you're drifting, you're drifting. And this is exactly how the Holy Spirit walks in our life and works in our life. Galatians 5 says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Just as I'm walking, be very careful, Danny, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And, and, and do, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And, 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 and don't get drunk with wine, Danny, but, but be, but, but, which leads to debauchery, but, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as I'm doing all this, be careful, Danny. Come over here, Danny. And he puts people in my lives and he puts messages in my life and that if I respond to with wisdom and if I go, yes, God, I believe that, I'm going to act on that, it'll keep you from so, so much harm, so much trauma, so much danger. So here's my last thing and I'm over time and I always am, so you're used to it now. Here's the last question. And I'm not telling you what your boundaries need to be today. We're going to do that over the next three or four weeks. I'm not even going to tell you what they need to be. I'm just going to give you some handles that if you decide to pick that up and walk that out, It'll bless you. It's your call. But the thing I want to challenge you with today is, where do you need to start? What's the area of your life right now, if you're honest, you say, I got a problem in that area. And and you've been ignoring when your wife said it. You've been ignoring when your mom said it. You've been ignoring and you've been going, nah, whatever. And you've been pushing it out to the fringes and the periphery. But you're hearing Holy Spirit say to you right now, you need to pay attention right now. What is that area of life in you that you need to face up to, that you need to stop lying to yourself about? What's the area of your life that you need to say, I need to talk to somebody about this? What is it for you? Here's the challenge. Would you ask God over the next four weeks, God, as you lead, as you guide, would you, would you, would you reveal? Because God, I realize I cannot correct what I do not detect. Would you help me? Search me. Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know me, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me into everlasting ways. Lead me, God. Because if you if you'll let him, he will direct and he will protect. And he will walk this out with you. If you let him. Can I pray over you? Amen. Lord. Thank you so, so very much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for inspiring by the spirit, Paul, with these words, these these admonitions to have barriers in our life, to have personal boundaries that become a matter of conscience. These personal barriers that we simply do not cross. No matter who else does, we don't. That we're called to a different way of living. We're called to have a life that is upgraded. Help us, I pray. Give us the wisdom. 
God, that as you begin to nudge us, even right now, some of some folks in this room right now know they can't just keep blaming everything on somebody else. That even if it is somebody else's deal, that there's some stuff I got to deal with too. Some of us want to play the victim, Lord, but right now, your nudge is stop playing the victim card and look in the mirror and deal with your junk. And God, you want to help us and you want to grace us and you want to bless us and you will come alongside of us and you'll put people in our lives. Lord, if we'll just submit, Lord, to to the idea of a circle. It doesn't have to be a life group. It could be just a circle that we have in life of people who are wise, who will speak into our life. God, if you'll just help us, I believe that you'll, you'll protect us from so much harm and so much danger and so much baggage that we don't have to carry through the rest of our lives. And Lord, particularly for those of us who are teenagers in our young 20s, God, we have the opportunity to get this right. We don't have to fall in the same ditches as parents did. We don't have to make the same mistakes as our older brother did. We can learn right now to have wisdom, to walk in wisdom in light of my past, in light of my present, in light of my future hopes and dreams. Is this the wise thing to do? And we can live in wisdom and grace. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap, would you?